This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host... Bob Comsick. Welcome back. A warning that Canada could be seeing the start of a Delta variant-driven fourth wave. The country's chief public health officer issuing a call for arms. With just five weeks or so to go to Labor Day, Dr. Teresa Tam wants to see an increase in vaccination. This means increasing fully vaccinated coverage above 80% across all age groups, but particularly in younger age groups where most of the transmission is occurring. Today's modeling underscores that increasing first and second dose uptake in young adults can have a big impact in building up better protection for the fall and winter. And she says it's crucial to build up protection before we start gathering again inside in schools, colleges, universities, workplaces. Tam also saying we need to take a cautious approach to relaxing public health measures, remain vigilant, responsive to signs of resurgence. Meanwhile, she says Alberta's decision to end isolation requirements for those who test positive or who've been in close contact with someone who has could have ripple effects across the country. What do you make of this? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Would like to hear from you. Until then, though... We go to our first guest to further discuss, Dr. Tim Sly, epidemiologist, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University, and also a frequent guest here on Fight Back. Doctor, welcome. Dr. Sly, are you there? Okay, we're just, uh, we have been experiencing some, some issues uh, with the phones, uh, and uh, we're going to try to get to, uh, to Dr. Sly here momentarily. So what do you make of this, what Teresa Tam was saying the, the other day, saying that she would like to see above 80% vaccination in all age groups, beginning with the younger uh, Canadians, uh, unvaccinated in particular, and then extending to older uh, unvaccinated Canadians, uh, and to be cautious as we reopen things. Otherwise, uh, she's saying not to be a fear monger, but basically wanting to, to say that we've got to do this. If we don't take these steps, more of us roll up the sleeves and get fully vaccinated, or if we don't do that and maybe we start opening up things too quickly and just basically open the doors up and, and drop restrictions altogether, with the cooler weather coming, we saw what happened last fall when we ended up uh, having a wave uh, come in the, in the fall and especially in the winter. So what about that possibility? Is that something that concerns you or you feel that we will be able to uh, get a handle on, on things here and that we will not find ourselves in the situation that we did about a year or so ago when, of course, we had that, uh, that third wave, which, which posed problems for many, was quite bad. And as anyone who has had uh, a loved one in a long-term care home knows, uh, unfortunately, there were some uh, some deaths. No other way to put it. No way of, of couching it and, and choosing your words carefully. It, uh, it claimed lives. So we're just awaiting and we're still having some some problems that's why you're hearing from me and you're not hearing from Dr. Timothy Sly and hopefully uh, we'll be able to get these things uh, worked out obviously even though this is a holiday and you might be off and uh, and many other people might be off of course the gremlins don't take holidays no it's like they know when it's a holiday, therefore, let's throw a monkey wrench into things as they uh, as they have been doing 
for uh, portions of the of the show when we lost uh, David and Bill earlier, and uh, we're lucky enough to get them back, and uh, they were with us, and uh, now we're we're just trying to connect with uh, with Doctor uh, Timothy Sly, an epidemiologist. Uh, also a professor of public health over at Ryerson University who has been on uh, many times with uh, Libby Snymer as well as with, with Jane Brown uh, during uh, COVID. And uh, hopefully with any luck, uh, fingers and, and uh, toes crossed, uh, we will soon be uh, connecting with, with Tim Sly over at Ryerson, our epidemiologist who uh, has weighed in. And uh, here we go. My fingers are crossed. Hopefully yours are too. And Tim, hopefully yours are. And have we made contact? Nope. Looks like we uh, looks like we have not. So uh, if uh, if we can, just to see, I don't know if we can. Uh, if we're having issues with Doctor Timothy Sly, what about with? Uh, with our next guest, uh, no, I'm told we're not able to. So 416-360-0740, or give us a call toll-free at one 740 What do you make of what you've heard thus far on the program? What about uh, what was said the other day by the country's chief uh, public health officer in terms of warning us about the possibility that if we're if we're not careful if we don't uh, continue with our cautious approach and if we don't get fully immunized uh, there could be some more obstacles before we're on the on the other side of this so uh, uh, we would like to hear what you have to say if we will uh, not be able to uh, to hook up. And uh, it appears now we're going to be shifting gears. And what we are going to do is, as opposed to talking about what uh, Teresa Tam uh, was saying, and uh, she does uh, say that we need to get vaccinated. So who better to talk about vaccinations, if not a family doctor, than a pharmacist? And they're sounding the alarm, warning that many doses of Moderna could go to waste if people don't start uh, showing up and get a shot. And soon, the CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association is Justin Bates. Do we have you? Oh, I am here. Yes. Okay, very good. <laughs> good Thank you. Uh, nice to hear another voice aside from mine. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's saying that. Justin, how many doses are we talking about exactly? Well, there are tens of thousands that could potentially be disposed of uh, starting on August 6th, which is, of course, the worst nightmare for any healthcare provider. And uh, we are doing everything we can to try to move these doses into arms before that uh, happens, including looking at uh, promoting this on social media, uh, public health experts uh, going out talking about the value of getting what's offered to you, be it uh, Pfizer or Moderna, and uh, talking about interchangeability, the mixing of the doses. But we know there are challenges here with concerns with respect to what constitutes fully vaccinated when you travel. We've seen people and heard about people being turned away, certain Caribbean islands, Royal Caribbean cruises, and I think that is leading to some hesitation around getting Moderna, uh, as well as the brand preference that we've uh, experienced over the course of the rollout. And But can't these doses, if we... I guess what's what's the cutoff in terms of the possibility for some of these doses to go elsewhere, or is it all or nothing? We either get as many into as many arms as we can, and whatever we don't is uh, is pitched. Well, the complicating factor here is the fact that they are only good for 30 days in a fridge. So once the vaccine arrives in a thawed state to a pharmacy or to a primary care physician's office, we have a 30-day window before we have to dispose of them, even though they expire in a, in a frozen state in December. So there is two different types of wastage. And in this case, uh, we're almost up on the 30 days. So in order to share vaccines with other countries, we would need to extract them from the individual locations, which is time-consuming, and there's very few uh, distributors that have the license to do that. Then they would need to inspect each of the vials to make sure they're not spoiled, and that's a QA process that takes time. And then you would need, of course, to ship them out. So the time to share vaccines 
is actually before they're distributed to the pharmacies when they're still in a frozen state. And the federal government is doing that with Moderna and with uh, AZ uh, vaccines now. What we're recommending is rather than throw these out, let's look at the potential of third doses for people who may be immunocompromised, who are high risk uh, populations with comorbidities or seniors where you know, we know there's some data to support a third shot. We know boosters are probably a reality at some point. Um, and I think this would be a much better use of the vaccine than, of course, disposing of them. Okay. And Justin Bates, uh, Ontario Pharmacists Association, talking about uh, being up against the clock with all these thousands of Moderna vaccine shots possibly expiring if uh, if people don't roll up their sleeves. If I could just have you hang tight here for a second. We finally got connected with uh, Tim Sly, epidemiologist uh, and professor over at Ryerson University. Uh, thanks for being here. Hello, Bob. And what about the warning? We could be looking at a potential fourth wave if we don't get many more people uh, fully vaccinated and if we're not uh, careful with uh, with the measures and how quickly the remaining ones uh, are dealt with. Uh, Bob, I was looking to the left and to the right, the east to the west and to the south, and almost all those countries have seen or are growing into a fourth wave of some kind. We can beat this one. The numbers will go up. There's not much doubt about it. But uh, let's. Uh, I think I think we can we can keep the numbers very low if we take uh, take those steps that we we really need. In other words, if the vaccination rate continues to increase, because we're now among the top half a dozen countries in the world. We, I wouldn't have thought we would have reached that back six months ago, but we've done very well on that. We still need to bring our double vax numbers up quite a long way. And now with the new variant, it's got to be between 80 and 85 percent vaccinated uh, and uh, and so vaccination is one lockdown we don't want to do let's let's keep that as the very last thing uh, on anybody's mind and the third one of course is mitigation that's your masking and distancing so we'll keep the masking and distancing going to try and stop the transfer and we'll keep the vaccination going upwards and we will stop the uh, the fourth wave growing into anything that uh, gets horrible now Dr. Sly, many British Canadians frustrated after being snubbed by this new plan to ease quarantine restrictions for entry to England and Scotland. Fully vaccinated travelers from the U.S. or much of Europe will not have to self-isolate upon arrival as of today. And the governments, English, Scottish, have not given a reason why Canada was not included in the exceptions. And this, despite the fact Canada having much lower uh, new case counts than the U.S., U.K., and many European countries. Can you figure it out? I don't know why that is, Bob. I mean, with some countries, you can see that it's the AstraZeneca because they haven't approved it. But with Britain, uh, the majority of their people have been vaccinated with uh, the AZ virus, uh, AZ vaccine. So uh, that doesn't make any difference. So it's probably some administrative uh, foul up, some communication thing. As you know, communication is at the root of most uh, frustration and irritation and anger we have in the world. So I, I have no answer for that one at all. It's, it's very upsetting. Uh, and if we can just uh, go back to Justin Bates with the Ontario Pharmacists Association, seeing as you're up against the clock, I know we talked about it, hammer that point home about Moderna, Justin. Well, it's safe and effective, and unfortunately we're seeing stories of people who have waited because they've shown a preference for Pfizer, and in some cases they have contracted COVID and end up in hospitalization situations. So we, we want to avoid that. There is no reason uh, to not get the Moderna vaccine. It is a safe, effective, uh, especially against the Delta variant uh, and variants of concern. And here, here we have an opportunity to make sure we can get to that threshold of above 80%. You know, a lot of people are saying 90% is the threshold we need for herd immunity. And we can do that with the Moderna vaccines that we have. And, you know, we're going to do everything we can to make sure we don't uh, waste this vaccine. I think it's critical that people uh, recognize the value here. And other countries are going to eventually recognize mixing. We're seeing we were first out at the gate with mixing. And we've already seen other countries start to adopt this with the World Health Organization uh, and other uh, international communities starting to look at including mixing into the definition of being fully vaccinated. 
Justin Bates, CEO, Ontario Pharmacist Association, and Dr. Tim Sly, epidemiologist, professor at Ryerson University. Thank you both. Many thanks, Bob. Bye-bye. Thanks. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Snymer, who returns Wednesday. Jane Brown's here tomorrow. The number ones at one follows Zoomer Radio News. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Bob Comsick. You've no doubt heard that Ottawa's extending multiple COVID benefits that were due to expire next month for an extra 30 days brought this up on Zuma Radio News on Friday when the government made the announcement. The wage and rent subsidies along with Canada recovery benefit and recovery caregiving and sickness benefits, they were all set to expire September 25th. They'll now run until October 23rd. In making the announcement, the finance minister saying it's essential to do everything the government can to make sure the country's economic recovery is fast and robust and that no one's left behind. Meanwhile, Ford governments outline what's to come when Ontario enters the exit stage of its roadmap to reopening, although no date's been selected yet. David Kravitz and Bill Van Corder from from the Zoomer squad and I were discussing this just moments ago. Uh, the government said it'll keep the mask mandate in place because the more contagious Delta variant is dominant here. And again, still no date for when we will move to that exit step, but it's giving residents and businesses a sense of what's to come. There will be no capacity limits in the exit stage, but businesses have to continue passive screening by having signs posted, for example. They must also keep a safety plan in place that details how they'll follow existing public health protocols. Earlier, I spoke with Jasmine Gantin, the Vice President of National Affairs for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, starting with his overall reaction to the Ford government's plan for exiting reopening. Um, overall, it's a very positive reaction. Uh, as soon as uh, businesses can go back to be fully open uh, and serve their uh, customers to the extent that they uh, normally uh, could, uh, I think it's good news. Um, it has been 16 months or now 17 months, I don't remember, of uh, lockdown measures and uh, restrictions uh, to uh, do uh, business. And so um, the exit strategy is a good strategy in the sense that allowing businesses to be fully open is what we uh, should be aiming for. Now, of course, restaurants will still have to maintain a distance of two meters between patrons or separate them with a barrier, say, plexiglass, which has become quite common these days in a lot of uh, in a lot of settings. So it's something that we've grown accustomed to. It was weird at first, but we've grown accustomed to it. What about that? Um, well, this is better than uh, not being open, right? Um, if it's uh, maintaining some distances, uh, if it's uh, keeping uh, the mask on for uh, when you come in, for example, if it's those uh, plexiglass and, and, and other um, uh, safety measures in place, uh, you know, if it means that the business can be uh, open and serve their clients, I think most businesses um will agree that this is better than not being able to uh, be open. And in the case of restaurants, this is better than just being able to uh, um, deliver the food or uh, uh, have, you know, a customer picking up meals. And so overall, it is not like it was prior to the pandemic, and we are all hoping that we will get there sooner than later. Uh, but in the meantime, um, this is better than not being uh, able to serve the clients. Now, you've no doubt heard this, a warning that came late last week from federal public health officials that Canada could be seeing the start 
of a Delta variant driven fourth wave. The country's chief public health officer, Dr. Teresa Tam, issuing issuing a call for arms, wanting to see an increase in vaccination above 80 percent, all age groups, but especially uh, the young to begin with. She says it's crucial to build up protection before we start gathering again indoors with once that cooler weather starts settling in, going back into school, colleges, universities, uh, workplaces. And she says that we have to take a cautious approach to relaxing public health measures and remain vigilant and responsive to to signs of resurgence reaction uh well i'm not you know a health expert um and so i don't know if 70 or 75 or 80 percent is the target that a different level of government should uh, aim for um I think what is needed, though, is a, uh, a plan uh, that businesses uh, can understand, uh, a plan for reopening, and uh, a plan that is set in advance so it gives businesses uh, time to prepare um, the best they can. And so um, the, the goalposts should not change month to month, uh, and uh, the, the, the expectation from the business community is that, um, that uh, once um, we meet uh, a certain uh, threshold, then uh, we expect to be able to uh, go back and do commerce as it was uh, prior to the pandemic. So. Again, I'm not sure if it's 70, 75, or 80 percent that should be uh, the threshold, but uh, hopefully um, things will be uh, uh, back to uh, normal uh, as soon as possible. So CFIB, in other words, wants assurances if there should be, and I stress if there is a fourth wave, that businesses would not be forced to close again. That's what you want, those assurances. Exactly. So the um, the Ontario government, like all other provinces, uh, like all other premier in other provinces, uh, gave uh, uh, businesses a uh, reopening plan. They prepared like plans and different steps and so on. And now we now we ask those uh, government and the Ontario government to uh, prepare a stay open plan. So that in the fall or in the winter, should uh, cases uh, go up again, uh, that businesses are not forced to be locked down again. But the different provinces, including Ontario, have set up set up a stay open plan, so businesses can uh, know what they uh, uh, can do, and uh, most importantly, can stay open. Uh, to uh, to serve their clients. Has CFIB been given those assurances that businesses won't be forced to close? Not if, yet. if if God forbid, there's a fourth wave. No, nope. uh, uh, we have not been uh, giving any uh, uh, information on that. But this is what we are asking. Um, in short, uh, we uh, we say. Uh, uh, you gave us uh, a reopening plan. Now give us a stay open plan. And the the talks, negotiations continuing, but no indication the government's playing. Governments are playing their the card game with the cards close to their chest. Uh, well, you know what is important in those situations is to make sure that there's a continued dialogue, and so um, and that's what we. Uh, are doing right now, and we are hoping to see um, all level of governments uh, continuing to have that dialogue with us. Um, we are the voice of small businesses in Canada. We have tons of data, information uh, to share with government. And uh, um, so far, you know, uh, the federal government, the, the Ontario government and others, um, uh, to some extent, uh, have uh, listened to us on, uh, on on programs. For example, at the federal level, uh, the extension of the wage subsidy last week at the rent subsidy was 
is CFIB uh, ask. And so we're um, confident that the next uh, couple of weeks uh, will bring uh, additional certainty to businesses. Can you share, you say that CFIB is sharing with the various uh, levels of uh, government, Ottawa and the provinces, including Ontario, data uh, to state your case, why you feel it's necessary in your view for businesses to remain open. What's some of that key data you can share with us, a key point or two that you're making with the governments? Um. At the national level, uh, we have to remember that only 35% of small businesses are fully open. Uh, uh, Sorry, 35% of businesses, only 35% of businesses are making normal sales. And so although we think uh, when we walk uh, in some streets of our cities that things are back to normal because some restaurants are having customers back and so on. The reality is that for many businesses, the level of sales remain extremely low. And it's especially the case for businesses in the tourism sector it's especially the case uh, for some businesses in the hospitality sector and, and, and recreation and arts and so on. So we have to remember that business have all reopened across the country uh, to different levels uh, in different provinces, but the level of sales remains uh, quite low. And so that's one of the reasons why we asked the federal government to extend the wage and the rent subsidy to uh, uh, past September, and they did. And um, and it, this is one of the key data that we uh, shared with them to convince of uh, extending those programs. Jasmine Gannett, Vice President, National Affairs for Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Thanks for your time, and good luck to you and to us all. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Bob Komsikin for Libby's Nimer. Threat of a potential fourth wave and call for arms for Moderna vaccine. Details coming up next on Fight Back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now. Fight back with Libby Snymer on Zuber Radio with guest host Bob Comsick. And happy Simco Day. That's if you're in Toronto, and happy Civic Day. Should you find yourself outside of the city, as Civic Day applies across the rest of Ontario. Whatever it is, wherever you are, it is a gorgeous day. It is. There's still no move by the Ford government to mandate. COVID vaccination of healthcare workers. Now, the question is, should this crisis we've been facing all this time, the dangers associated with it, outweigh the constitutional rights of Canadians when it comes to getting the shot? Also, if other jurisdictions are doing this, what's stopping the ones at Queen's Park from making the decision? Then there's the issue of privacy with healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, and others. They're not required to concede or or let you know what their status is. They don't have to be transparent about this. And we've got privacy laws, so there's no need to disclose this. It's a reality that's left patients, especially ones who are immunocompromised, their compromise, their immune system is compromised, and thus they feel vulnerable. Yeah, I know it's easy for me to say, isn't it, guys? I know. We'll get to you yeah. yet. You'll, you'll have your chance. I can. There's a peanut gallery. You hear them in the I'm background. Glad you, I'm glad you did it first. Uh, <laughs> and I won't be the last, but, uh, yep, that's right. Got to see about getting those uh, upper choppers fixed. Anyway, since many are enjoying the long weekend, we lighten things up, if we haven't already, with the attempt at that pronunciation lightening up the conversation by asking the Zoomer squad and you out there, what have you been up to or what are you doing? The number is 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. 
I can do this. Sally sells seashells by the seashore, but don't ask me the other one. David Kravitz, Vice President, Zoomer Media, Chief Membership Officer at CARP. Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome. Hi, there. Hi, Hi everyone. Um, so what about why we still don't have this sewn up and figured out. We know Doris Greenspoon over at the Registered Nurses Association. You've got the OMA, everyone making this call. You have Doug Ford saying, I'm listening. Now, either tone deaf or choosing not to listen. It's one of those two because... And uh, we're just going to have to uh, hang tight here for for a second, I'm told. So we will be getting to both David as well as to Bill Van Gorder here shortly. And the question that's being posed to the two of them is uh, what to do about mandatory vaccination of healthcare workers. As you know, there are various uh, advocacy groups that have been calling for this as yet. Uh, the government has decided not to. The government's saying it doesn't wish to uh, force this upon anyone. They keep pleading with the frontline workers uh, to do so, but as yet uh, they have not uh, taken the plunge in order to uh, to make it mandatory. So I'm just looking over at uh, at at Jordan. Jordan, are we good to go or not yet? Okay, I'm told it should be. Uh, uh, shortly, when both David Kravitz and Bill Van Gorder should be weighing in on this conversation, with which thus far is a monologue. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. If you wish to chime in, maybe you are. Uh, Okay, David is here. So while we await you out there giving us a call on one of those numbers, uh, David, uh, what about the the wait continues here? And maybe we'll never get the answer that uh, all these groups and advocates uh, want. I have no way. I have no way of understanding this, Bob. I have no way of understanding it. I don't understand what a constitutional right is that would prevent this from happening. If you want to work as a, in, in uh, healthcare, it's one thing to say you have the right not to be vaccinated and therefore not be hauled off to jail. You have a civil right as a Canadian citizen uh, to decline to be vaccinated and then not suffer punishment uh, in, in the law. But it's quite a different matter to say you have the right not to be vaccinated and then work at any occupation you choose, even if some of those occupations make it necessary for you to be vaccinated. It's a perfectly reasonable condition of employment, and it's a complete mystery to me why this is even an issue. Bill? David's absolutely uh, right, and CARP members don't understand why we have rules in all other areas, but not in this one when it concerns our loved ones. Where is our concern that was there a year ago when we were so concerned about keeping our loved ones safe in long-term care facilities and in hospitals where they they were in contact with other people from the community? Now we're just talking about the, the, the workers, and there's no reason at all. It, it's it's unbelievable to many. In fact, many of the CARP members I've talked to didn't believe that was happening. They thought I was wrong when I told them there was no necessity that people be vac- vaccinated when they're working in those facilities. Bill, David, if you both don't understand it and you're left scratching your head, David, let's go back to you then. Why do you think it is that it's not mandatory? Well, obviously, the, the reason is that the government is holding on to some notion of privacy issues and uh, constitutional issues. They've, they've offered a rationale. Uh, they haven't said, well, we're not going to do it because we just feel like it. They've quoted these issues. I'm also, but I also must say, and I, I'd like to hear what Bill thinks, I don't even understand the privacy concern because to reveal that you've had the vaccine, is not to disclose any of your other health information. All, you, all you're knowing is that this particular worker has received the vaccine. Now, if that worker had gotten injured, let's say, and showed up one day at my home 
or at the uh, hospital with uh, three stitches in her arm because she cut herself accidentally or with a cast because she fractured her wrist. Is that is that an invasion of privacy? Now I know something about her that she fractured her wrist and she's wearing a cast. Uh, it doesn't disclose any of her other private health information. It doesn't disclose what medical conditions she's had, uh, what treatment she's had over the years. I know nothing about her or him other than that they've received the vaccine. And so I don't even understand why it's a violation of privacy, frankly. Bill? Well, David, I think you're right. It's not a violation of privacy. What we hear from people who are espousing this, uh, this approach is that somehow it's a slippery slope, and if we if we give up on this one, then people will be forced to give up on on other other privacy matters. And that's just that's that's ridiculous. We're talking about a uh, a major COVID pandemic that's killing people in long term care homes, in hospitals, in other seniors' uh, uh, residences. This is entirely different uh, uh, from that, and the slippery slope argument. Uh, seems to be a theoretical, a theoretical uh, argument uh, that just doesn't apply in uh, in this case. And we also uh, Carp believes that one of the other problems. This just shows uh, even more strongly why we need more national control over issues such as this to have. Uh, the various provinces, even sections within those provinces, being able to make this deci- make this decision that that affects everybody across the country. On one hand, we want to open up the country and allow people to travel from one province to, to the other. On the other hand, we're allowing provinces to make these life and death uh, decisions. It's time the uh, federal government got the guts to make some decisions and make and force them on everyone else when it's in the general public uh, best uh, best interests. As David Kravitt, Bill Van Gorder, and myself, Bob Komsik, filling in for Libby Snymer here on Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, discuss why there is no mandatory vaccination of health care workers in this province. Are you a health care worker? Have you received your shot? You have. What about a colleague or colleagues? If they haven't, what has been their reasoning? If you're a healthcare worker who has not received a shot, or maybe one, but now thinking about second thoughts about that second shots, why are you taking this position? 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. We've heard from the various groups, spokes. Uh, people for those groups, leaders of those organizations, Registered Nurses Association, Ontario Medical Association, saying they speak for you. Do they? Here's your chance to speak up for yourself and make your thoughts known if they are being misrepresented in any way by any one of us or others. Again, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. Until we, so that we're we're not just sitting on this merry-go-round as we've got questions and we're having trouble understanding why we can't get an answer on this. Uh, The Ford government the other day gave us an idea of just what things are going to look like once Ontario exits reopening. Now, Most measures, including capacity limits, are going to be lifted, but face coverings will continue for indoor settings. Thoughts on that? Begin with you, David. Well, I think that the, uh, I mean, I I flip back and forth between putting on a mask when I go into certain stores, not wearing a mask the rest of the time. I have no difficulty doing that and no particular objection uh, to doing that. But I must say that the... um, the nature of the communication as to why it's necessary 
uh, has been fairly confusing and contradictory and inconsistent. Um, on the one hand, uh, if the vaccines work and I've been vaccinated, why do I need to wear a mask? If I need to wear a mask, is that giving ammunition to the people who don't want to get vaccinated? They're going to get vaccinated and they still got to wear a mask. So maybe the vaccines aren't as good as they're cracked up to be. Therefore, I don't need to take one. No, no, you must take one. You must get one. You must get one. Okay, well, then why do I need, still need to wear a mask? So I don't think their messaging has quite figured out uh, how to finesse those questions. And I still think that uh, there's a, a fair bit of confusion around that. But let me emphasize, I have no problem with it and, and I'm not opposed to it. Bill. Well, David's right. The messaging has been very uh, uh, confusing, as I understand it. My And my personal uh, point of view is that uh, masks are, uh, even if I have uh, double vaccination, uh, I can still be a carrier. So by wearing a mask, I'm protecting the people around me and giving some level of support to myself if there are people around me who aren't, uh, who aren't uh, vaccinated. So if I'm going to be in an indoor space where I'm breathing uh, the air uh, that has, has been expelled by other people fairly close to me, then I'm going to continue to wear, to wear a mask. If I'm in an outdoor uh, uh, venue, that's, uh, that's entirely different. I think I'm right in in uh, in my uh, uh, evaluation of of the mask. It's what we're being told by most of the recognized health authorities, and I'm going to go by that. But we've got to be more clear, and once again, we've got to have more science in these decisions and not make them politically. It seems to more and more we're going back to having politicians make the decisions instead of the health professionals who have the science. Bill, David, uh, we have Ross from Richmond Hill. Uh, and Ross, you're a healthcare worker. I, I don't yeah. know how much you wish to disclose in terms about your personal situation, where you work, what you do, or whatever. I leave that up to you. So well, I work in a hospital uh, north of Toronto, the GTA area. Okay. And my and uh, that's all I really want to say. Okay. I have no problem with. With I've had two shots. I have no problem. I don't know what the problem is. Is people are making this into a, a, a big issue? But I want to reverse the roll around. I, although I'm a, I work in a hospital, I re- like to reverse the roll. And how would you like it if I was a patient and I wanted to know whether that nurse or that PSW or that doctor? had a shot and if I, they said no do i have that right to refuse that person to come near me well guys i don't know if one of you wants to jump in david or or bill yes yes they have that right they can they, I agree. the patient can say or the family the loved ones of the patient can say if um you know, health worker Jones does not want to tell me that they have received both vaccines, then I can decline to be served by that person. I mean, they're not going to, police aren't going to come and force you to take them. Well, I mean, we're not talking about a life-death situation that you have no control over, God forbid, like an accident or an ambulance or something. But if you ask, to, 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 to uh, the caller's point here, Ross's point, if you ask the if the healthcare worker has been vaccinated and they decline to tell you, I think you have the right to say, uh, see you later. What do you make of that, Ross, if you're still with us, I take it? I think it's reasonable, isn't it? Completely reasonable, Ross. Very reasonable. I mean, it's it's you know this COVID's really bad. It's uh, but nothing you know. So anyway, that's my no, Ross. uh, Ross, Can I ask you one thing before you go in again and uh, only disclose uh, what you wish to? And that being, and I'm not asking where you work or what you do or anything like that. Just curious, in your conversations with colleagues, are is your view and what you're doing? The majority, or are you in a minority? No, a majority of us are getting are gotten shots. But uh, my take on it, I, I think uh, we should all be uh, vaccinated. And uh, 
even people who haven't, are not in the hospital. They should people my rights you know what about what about other people's rights my rights or i don't want to get infected mm-hmm. they're they're uh, take they're, it's all it's all wrong i'm saying <laughs> yeah but some of your colleagues you say you're in the majority which would suggest not all of uh, your co-workers or ones that uh, you're aware of have received a shot or plan to get a shot so there are some I can't say that I don't okay. I have I don't I have no knowledge I don't know that fair I enough but I, I don't know and yep. uh, I'm not gonna ask and, no 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 I just thought if it came up in conversation that then it might have been discussed well why aren't you or you know whoever if somebody were to bring that up and state that uh, that point of view but uh, clearly I'm not asking if you're going around inquiring if uh, colleagues have or not you're right that's that's their own business and that's why i guess there's this uh push to make it uh, mandatory just uh, for the safety of all and uh not leaving it uh uh in in the hands to make the call because of the fact there is the the concern that someone could get sick or worse okay ross in richmond hill thank you very much <laughs> Thank you. 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. So if you, like Ross, uh, are a healthcare worker and wish to uh, chime in, here's your, here's your opportunity. Um, so let's get back to uh, this, the business with the reopening. And uh, I think, David, you stated your view with the masking, and then we, we hopped on to our discussion here with Ross. So, Bill, what about uh, your thoughts on this? Uh, continuing with the, with the masking indoor but pretty much a lot of the other issues, restrictions, a lot of them would be gone. Well, what uh, what I know is I have and do talk to a lot of CARP uh, members in the province and around the, the uh, country, and they are very cautious about going back to indoor uh, venues, whether it's uh, uh, theaters or even uh, shopping, malls, uh, large stores, they're very hesitant about going without masks and without everyone around them wearing masks, too. Of course, they're, they want uh, more and more people to be double vaccinated, and that's the long-term goal. Uh, but what I do know is that we're going to see many, many seniors being very cautious, staying away uh, and, until that. And when they do uh, go back to those uh, venues, they're going to want to have their masks on, and they're going to expect those around them to be wearing masks also. Well, that's the whole thing, is uh, once we uh, exit stage three and go into the, the phase where we're leaving the the various phases and stages, that's what we would have is mandatory masking indoors. So that it's not a question of whether you wish to or not. It would be mandatory. So, uh, you know, I, I was in a mall yesterday briefly albeit i'm not going to mention the mall in a part of the gta uh didn't stay long kind of went into uh through the doors closest to uh, the store that i wished to go to and went through out those same doors didn't spend a great deal of time in there but just uh anecdotally looking around was it pre-pandemic no uh was it uh fairly busy yeah it was fairly busy it was fairly busy, and uh, I noticed, guys, uh, there'd be people watching and trying to keep their distance. Um, in one case, I was exiting through a door, and the gentleman who was waiting to get inside, instead of waiting outside, was waiting in the doorway, kind of turned sideways, which, I mean, you're passing by at that point, and clearly we're masked, and, you know, we've been told you're not going to catch anything. Uh, it was early on we were afraid of a, a lot of things because of the big unknown, so the, the chances of anything happening there were, were remote. But it's interesting how some people still have uh, have this issue with the the courtesy where they you know, just give, you never know what that other person is thinking, do them the courtesy, stand out of the way, and, uh, you know, let them exit before you go in. It's kind of like the uh, getting off a, uh, 
a subway car, getting out of an elevator. Wait a minute, let me get out, then you can get in. Never understood that uh, line of a thinking and approach by uh, commuters and uh, and people, but that's uh, another story for another day. But uh, what about experiences that maybe David you might have found in terms of going in and out, you're saying how you have no trouble, you know, putting the mask on, taking it off. How have you found it? Have you been in a mall of late? Well, I've been in, a, I've been in some stores, but I also, I have to say that my experience is a little bit different. I am not seeing uh, a lot of masking anywhere uh, except inside a store uh, you put, because that's because the store won't let you in without the mask. So people are going in, putting on the mask, doing their shopping, coming out. But we've been out for dinner a couple of times now in restaurants, uh, once uh, once on an outdoor patio, once indoors, nobody was masked. The tables were pretty far apart, but at each table, the party at the table, including ours, uh, was not masked. They, they wouldn't keep their mask on and just remove it to eat. So I think there is a sense that um, we are returning to normal, I'm not saying whether that sense is accurate or justified. I think there's a sense that we are getting, but more and more people want to get back to normal and are acting like we're getting back to normal. And, uh, um, you know, the uh, 218 cases in August 1st, uh, 3,443 cases at the beginning of January, 165 uh, Seven-day average in August, 3,400 in January. Two deaths in August, 40 deaths in one day in January. Are we out of it yet? Is this so-called fourth wave, even if it's highly contagious, is it going to be as dangerous? Lots of evidence that it's not. It's already collapsing in, in Britain with practically uh, very little death rate. So, as usual, the data is all over the place, and I think the public is sort of groping its way toward you know what they feel comfortable with. Debbie in Toronto, you want to weigh in uh, one last call here, and then uh, we'll move on. Go ahead, Debbie. Hello, Debbie. Relating to what Bob was saying there about a person or people not on the other side not waiting for you to get out, and uh, I know personally if somebody's waiting to get in when I'm going out, I'll wait until... They actually come in because sometimes they come thinking, oh, they're going to push the door open. I can get the door from them or, you know, like they're going to hold the door for me or I don't have to touch the door. They're they're coming out. Okay, Debbie. All right. I think we uh, get the point there with uh, no pun intended, kind of swinging both ways. David Kravitz, <laughs> Vice President, Zoomer Media, Chief Membership Officer at CARP, uh, Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Both of you, thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, I guess you'll be talking with uh, Libby come next week. Guys, stay safe until then. Very good. Thanks so much, Bob. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Bob. Okay. See you, David. All right. Take care, guys. Bob Komsik in for Libby Zneimer. You are listening to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. And Libby will be back by midweek. Jane Brown will be in this chair for tomorrow, taking your calls, talking with guests, and dealing with the issues of the day. And we will continue on this Simcoe Day in Toronto, Civic Day in the rest of Ontario, edition of Fight Back right after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.